0: these are at the table, see after church over there. If you're interested, we'd be glad to accommodate you. Last night, we were talking about um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But as, he with has, but as he which hath called you is holy, even so be ye holy, and um, um, right, let's see. I got something else going on in my mind here right now. I got to get squared away and think about what I'm saying. Uh, but as he which hath, uh, let's see, as he which hath called you is holy, uh, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, "Be ye holy, for I am holy." So that's where we were last night in the book of First Peter, chapter one. And uh, try to preach about uh, the matter of being holy as he is holy. Now, the truth of the matter is that if we had a father up here tonight with a four-year-old son, say for example, said, uh, the father said to the son, now son, I want you to grow up and be the kind of man that I'm trying to be. That's what I want you to do. You grow up and be a man like me. You hear me? (laughs) Now, what's the likelihood of the father then going his way and that boy growing up to be the kind of man he's supposed to be? He's not going to become the man he's supposed to be without the father's involvement. See, if he really wants him to grow and to be nurtured like that, it's a responsibility of a father to nurture the boy. And I'm so grateful we had two girls. And then uh, my wife had a miscarriage, and, you know, it didn't look like I was going to get a boy. And then we got a boy. I was 30, just shy of 36 years of age when Samuel was born and got a boy. And uh, boy, I, I just said, I love those girls. We got 10 granddaughters. I love girls. I ain't no problem at all. I wouldn't want all grandsons, not by any means. But I'm just telling you right now, when I got a, got a son, wow, boy, that was really something. And I kind of coined the phrase for our relationship, ain't nothing like a dad and his bud. Just nothing like a dad and his bud. He was about four, and he said, or a bud and his dad. I said, that'll work too. That's very good. It's not bud and bud, but a dad and his bud. Oh, man, nothing like it. But if I expected him to grow up to be the man I'm trying to be, I have to be involved in his life. God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. In all manner of conversation, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, what's the likelihood of us saying, I see that, and roll up our sleeves and wind up living a holy life? What's the likelihood of that? Well, it's not going to happen. You know why? Because of the work of the Father that has to take place in our life. For us to grow up and be, let me borrow from Paul in the book of Hebrews. You believe Paul wrote Hebrews? I do too, so that takes care of that tonight. And so uh, I borrow from Paul in the book of Hebrews where he said uh, that we might be partakers of his holiness. That we might be partakers of his holiness. And what Paul is talking about in chapter 12 is a a principle or a fact of a father-child relationship Uh, that uh, necessitates the involvement of the Father for us to be like Him. It's called chastening. It's called chastisement or chastening. Now, you can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 and just hold it there, mark it somehow. But let's look tonight for our text in Proverbs in chapter 2. Now, there's a possibility we'll turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll see how it goes. I may just quote or we may turn there together. I just don't know yet. So let's just go to the book of uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 2. And if you are 3, I'm sorry, chapter 3. And if you want to mark Hebrews chapter 12 and have it ready, well, that would be good. Proverbs and chapter number 3. And once we've found our place, let's stand together and we're going to read two short verses here. Two very, very very short texts. And you've been around Baptist churches long enough to know a short text always equates to a short sermon, isn't that right? (laughs) Okay, well that's the way it ought to work, but it doesn't seem to always work that way. So look here in Proverbs chapter 3, and I'm going to read carefully verses number 11 and 12 with you. Verse 11, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. I would like for you to read those words aloud with me, would you please? Let's all read it in unison together and and, uh, follow the pace here. Because we want to be deliberate and thoughtful as we read this very short text. Verse 11. Ready? Let's read it together. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Father, we are very grateful for the opportunity to assemble here once again this evening. And we uh, again want to say thank you for your precious word. We acknowledge once again that the same Holy Ghost who inspired these words must be at work for us to have benefit uh, from the time that we spend looking into the word and endeavoring to preach the word, endeavoring to hear the word. God, we need the working of your Holy Spirit. We acknowledge that. We are not able to do this ourselves, not by uh, oratory, not by just applying the brain, or or, or just uh, giving intellectual assent to what is so. Dear God, we need your Holy Spirit for this to make a difference in our lives. And so I pray that you would work and that you would accomplish your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and God bless. You may be seated. Now, I, uh, I doubt if my experience is much different than anyone else's and the sense that I can remember being so naive that I actually thought that there would be a time in my life when nobody's telling me what to do. You know, it starts out real early, don't we? We have, we have somebody always telling us what to do. Your parents, I mean, the, some of the first words you ever heard from them, whether you remember or not, was, don't stop. Don't do that or do this. And so it goes. You know, you go, and I remember there are some that think, well, when I graduate and I turn 18 and I'm an adult, nobody's going to be telling me what to do. And then reality hits. And some are so frustrated with it, they go and join the military. That'll show them. And then they have somebody. That, and then reality really hits when you get married. <laughs> and you thought you'd have nobody telling you what to do. Are you serious? and the reality is we never come to that time I remember my mother uh, died in the year of 2013 she was exactly three weeks shy of being 96 years of age and uh, somewhere long about 88 or 89 my mom was showing some signs of dementia and uh, you know you just kind of see it kind of growing increasingly worse and And so at some point, uh, she realized that in our little hometown of 5,000 people, she got confused and almost lost uh, driving her little Buick uh, Century around town and uh, shared that with my sisters, two of whom lived in the little town. And so shared that with my sisters, and uh, they began to be concerned about mom, and then she made the mistake of telling them that she almost had an accident from just not paying attention or misjudging something. And so finally my sisters kind of got together, kind of an arbitrary decision. There are six of us all together, and got together and decided that mom ought to turn in her keys and not drive the car anymore, and, and she agreed, and so she turned in the keys. Now, my wife sitting over here would testify that my mom's just one of the finest uh, people, one of the sweetest people, and maybe the best Christian I've ever known. I don't know how to measure that for sure, but a wonderful, wonderful lady. And so, with her dementia and things going the way they were, she started having some cranky moments that you didn't often see in mom where she was kind of in a foul mood, and one day I got some time, and my wife and I went up to see my mom, we were sitting there talking to her, and she was in one of those cranky moods, she said, I'm sitting here, she's in her little retirement apartment, other apartments around there, she said, "Um, I I can't even drive my car anymore, can't even go to the grocery store, I have to wait on somebody, the girls took the keys away from me, can't even go to the grocery store do things for myself, and I said, well, Mom, you know, you agreed to that, and you didn't want to get anybody out there hurt by not driving properly, or you didn't want to get, I know, I know, but I could at least go to the grocery store. That was her hang-up that day, you know, and she's kind of frustrated by everything. My car's sitting right out there, and I don't have any keys. And so (laughs) she's bemoaning that, and I said, well, Mom, you know, it may be the best thing for now, trying to console a little bit, She said, the lady over there, she pointed out the front door and across the way there, across the yard is another apartment. And that lady there, uh, she's two years older than me and she's still driving. And I said, well, maybe she's still able to drive. She's no more able than I am. She just doesn't have six kids telling her what to do. That's the way my mom answered that. And I thought... You know, it is kind of sad, you get to that point in life, Good night. you're 96 years old, you've lived a full life, and you still have people telling you what to do and not to do? Well, I just want to say to you that none of us are ever going to reach a point in our life that we don't need somebody telling us what to do. And of course, I'm not just talking about, as we go around living our life in general, I am talking about now our relationship to God. And I'm talking about our standing with God that we will never come to a time in our life where we don't need our Father telling us what to do. We, we won't. I got this as a real reality just, you know, fairly lately. It was in the past fall, and it was in the time of year, almost October, end of September, October, and it was a, uh, it was one of those spells where they call it an Indian summer, where it's just the weather is just absolutely gorgeous. You know, I mean, we didn't even have a lot of wind, which doesn't happen real often on the plains there. Didn't have wind, just beautiful. And so day after day, and evening after evening, and so on the weekends, we live in a an old neighborhood, and in the in the uh, in the weekends there, there were a number of our neighbors. They would have neighbors over, and they'd do outside stuff. And always with that is music. Now, some of the music, uh, you know, didn't offend me or bother me, anything like that. It's just when I go in the house and shut the door, all I could hear was the incessant beat of that music. No singing, no instrumentation. All I could hear is boom, 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 booms. Everybody know what I'm talking about? I think I kind of suggested this the other day, but you hear it in cars and everything. And some of our neighbors are out there and they've got it set up and they got their music out there. How they converse or talk or are able to think, I have no idea. It is just boom. And I'm talking about some of them a block down the road. I mean, I've walked a whole block down the road and talked to them. I wonder if we could just kind of tone that beat down just a little bit where I could sit in my house and not have to listen to that, you know? trying to be a good neighbor and so anyway uh and i did i i went to about five different neighbors and just said to them look i want to be a good neighbor you've been a good neighbor i know we don't want to cause any problems here and i don't want to be a cranky neighbor or anything like that i just wondered if you could turn that beat down where you can hear it and i don't because i'm sitting in the house and my windows are shaking you know and i'm not enjoying that and, and I, I don't call that music anyway. Somebody help me right there. That's not music anyway. But anyway, I just said, I want to, yes, 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 yes. And then go right ahead and do it. Well, I'm getting steamed. You know, I'm starting to get in the, uh, well, I say starting to get in the flesh. Um, I, okay, I'm getting in the flesh. And I'm thinking about, oh, this is driving me nuts. And I don't want to be a bad neighbor. I don't. I want to have a right testimony and such as that. And so one day my wife and I are in Sam's Club. And we're walking along in Sam's Club, and and, uh, I see these big old speakers here, and they're specifically advertised as outdoor speakers. And these speakers are pretty good size. And I got the idea. I've been thinking about what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get me some of those speakers and a sound system. I'm going to set these speakers on the back of my pickup truck tailgate. And when they're doing that stuff, I'm going to back right up to their yard ...and put on some of my preaching CDs and just crank her up and blow them right out of their yard. That's what I'm going to do. And then I'll put on some good Heartland music and I'll just let them hear what music is supposed to sound like. And I've got this attitude, you know. I'm telling my wife, she said, you're not going to spend the money for that, which is probably the big hindrance. It's probably it's good that they cost as much as they did because she was right. But I was steamed and I thought... I, I could get even with them. That's what I'm thinking. Or I'm trying to devise a way. They, they've got to pay for this. Come on, I'm just sitting there. I don't get to green home much. And what I am, I'm sitting there. Boom, 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 And then it stops. And you say, oh, that's over. And then it starts. Boom, 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 boom. boom and it's just a different beat. But it's still there. Is everybody with me here? Yeah. Boy, I was upset. I mean, I'm getting upset. So, early in the morning. I'm doing what a Christian ought to do. I'm reading my Bible. I read the Bible an hour a day. I've done that for years and years. And so I sit down and read the Bible. just happens I'm in the book of Proverbs at the time I am reading my Bible. And as I'm reading along, I've read something that kind of struck me. And I went on two or three verses. And it's sort of like you probably had these moments if you're a serious Bible reader where the Holy Spirit said, you're not through with what you just read. And so I backed up and I read again out of Proverbs 20, say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord. Say not thou, I will recompense evil. These people are doing this. I'm going to get even. <laughs> I'll make them pay. That was my thinking. Some of you are not enjoying this at all. I don't know if it's guilt on your part or you think, you mean you think like that? Well, that's how I was thinking. If I could just settle the score. I mean, I ought to be able to go in my house without listening to that garbage. Somebody help me, please. I should be able to do that. And so the Lord said, say not thou, I will recompense evil. Well, I start arguing with the Lord. I'm sure you've never done that. Well, I haven't done anything. Now, I didn't buy the speakers, and I haven't done anything. And he said, what you have or haven't done isn't the issue, and you're not even thinking right. Because he said, say not thou, I will recompense evil. And I would say, if I hadn't shared it with my wife, if I was the only one that knew it, still I was saying in my heart, I will recompense evil. So here I am, being a good boy, up early in the morning, reading my Bible, and what do I get? A spanking. I, I'm serious. I'm sitting there getting this banking and I'm sitting there thinking good grief at this stage of my life I know better than that. I've even preached out of the book of Romans chapter 12 about not recompensing evil and how that ought to be play out in a believer's life and there I was sitting there acting like a child upset and disturbed because my peace is being invaded and I'm going to settle the score here somehow and the spirit of God said no you got a bigger problem than they do they are doing what the world does you're my child and look at you you're trying to figure out how to recompense evil it doesn't matter if you measure that evil like this or like this it doesn't matter the fact is I was not thinking right and so you what God did he corrected my thinking what are you doing about it nothing waiting on the Lord that's what the rest of that verse says Recompense not evil, say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait thou on the Lord. So, what are you doing? I'm waiting on the Lord. They were doing it the other night. Playing the music, two doors down, backyard, big old shed, garage, we all live on one acre lots along this uh, street. And so, this way, and they're back there, I looked out the back patio door, and their strobe lights going, and the ba-boom, 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 in the house, and I just went over and sat down, said, well... Lord, I'm waiting. What do you think he's going to do? Well, how would I know? I don't know what he's going to do about it. Probably there's more work to be done on me (laughs) before the music is taken care of. I have no idea. I, I don't. But I just know that I was getting corrected from the Lord. Now, in our text, it is called two key words. It is called chastening and correction. Now I understand this, somebody might read this and say, wait, 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 don't you see Brother Sam, I mean, he says right up there in chapter 2, my son, if thou wilt receive my words, he says in the beginning of chapter 3, my son, forget not my law, he says in chapter 11, uh, verse 11 of chapter 3, we're reading, my son, and, and some would be quick to point out, this is Solomon giving instruction to his son. And many would say that this would have to do with Rehoboam, who is the son that followed Solomon to the throne, and that Solomon has given him instruction and in passing on the wisdom so that he'll be the kind of king in the future that he is supposed to be, and Solomon is giving him this instruction. Now, I have no doubt that's true. I, I don't have a problem with that at all. But what you and I are supposed to understand is that Solomon and his son, well, their record was settled a long time ago. And the fact that this lives in the Word of God and lives as the Word of God means that God is still speaking to his children. So I don't first and foremost think, uh, uh I first and foremost don't think Solomon and Rehoboam, I think God and Sam Davison. Because we are the children of God. Uh, Beloved, now are we the children of God and and heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I'm just saying that you and I are absolutely the children of God. Uh, John wrote and said, Beloved, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and does not yet appear what we shall be. And so one of the great I mean, Jesus taught us to pray. When you pray, uh, with no specification of age or spiritual maturity or anything else, when you pray, go into thy closet and shut the door and pray, Our Father, which art in heaven... And so when I uh, think about myself coming before God, I still think of myself coming as a child and bringing this to my father. See, now you don't look at me as a child, hopefully. You may after I confessed my childishness there a minute ago. But you, you may not look at a 73-year-old man as a child. Yeah, well, the difference is my father is ageless. less He is the ancient of days. He is the eternal one. And I don't mind telling you, still when I come before God and I've got an issue that I must find the mind of God and have the wisdom of God and get discernment from God, I still feel like a little child coming to our Father. That's what Paul was talking about, again, with no specification of age, where we even cry, Abba, Father, that term of endearment or that term of intimacy with our Father, and come before God and bring our petitions there because we know not what to pray for us we ought but our father knows what we need and so we come as his child and seek his face now the father and child relationship well chastening is an essential part of that relationship chastening correction both words in our text they are an essential part. Um, I, I had the wonderful privilege of growing up in church. and So, I mean, I got saved when I was six years old. That would have been in February, January, February of 1952. I would turn seven then in August of that year. So, the, and I, I was born in 1945. So, 1952, and early uh, of the year that I got saved, that's when I came to know Jesus as my Savior. And uh, and so we never had a choice about going to church. We never heard this in our house at all. Uh, kids, do you want to go to church today? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever said that in our house. If there's churches going on, we're going to be there. In fact, I used to think my folks drove by the church during the week just to make sure we're not missing something. You know, we went to everything. And so, yeah, we were raised up in church. And I remember hearing preaching. I'm talking about in the 1950s. I remember hearing some good, strong, uh, uh, what I call two-fisted preaching, you know, not tippy-toeing around, not trying to be uh, politically correct. Oh, God deliver us from political correctness. Somebody say amen to that, please. Uh, What we need is some real prophet preaching of the day. And the prophet preachers were not concerned about political correctness. (laughs) You never saw the prophets go into a town and say, hi, God bless you. God loves you. I love you. Now you just keep doing what you're doing. And everything's going to be good. God bless you and patting him on the head. No, as a matter of fact, when the prophets came to town, often people said, "Oh brother, what have we done now? I mean, just read about Samuel going into the town and they send somebody out, and they said, "Go check on him and see what are you coming here for? Because when the prophet came to town, usually it was something like this. Is everybody seeing this? Usually it was something like this. Uh, God's got something to say to you, and you better listen to it, and if you don't listen to it, you're in trouble with the Lord. See? And that's the kind of preaching, in my opinion, that is needed in this day and time. Uh, At at a time when sin escalates, it seems like there's less emphasis upon sin and less confrontation about sin and more trying to tippy-toe around and make sure that everybody feels good. Is everybody all right? Is everybody okay? I'm so tired of hearing preachers say that. Everybody okay? Everybody okay? I don't care if you're okay or not. uh, Unless, are you okay with the book? You and I, it's not about you and me anyway It's about the book it's about the word of God so anyway and so I remember hearing preacher. well some of the things I heard uh, as I recall now as I recall I I admit I was young but I remember those old preachers coming up from Texas our pastor that started our church was from Texas and he brought up Texas preachers there and they were all big and they were all loud and they all preached forever and they were bold and strong stand up on the pew and look you right in the face and walk back and spit all over you you know while they're preaching, and that was the kind of preaching I grew up under. And I remember the, I, I remember something like this. Now, I'm going to dramatize it here just a little bit, so don't get nervous about me. I'm not having a breakdown yet. But I'm just, I remember a preacher going along and saying, I'm going to tell you right now, you better get right with God. God's going to chasten you. He'll get a hold of you by the nap of the neck and jerk a kink in you and straighten you up. God will work you over. He'll chasten you. He will. And you better get right. I remember thinking, oh, yeah, this is real preaching here, you know. And so what I remember hearing about chastening God is, well, God is could be like a parent. He gets frustrated with somebody, doesn't know what to do with them, slaps them upside the head, knocks the soup out of them, and now you better straighten up and go get right, see. And so that makes real good preaching. But, you know, some careful consideration of the Bible has really messed up a lot of good preaching. <laughs> Well, uh, not everybody got that one, sorry. Uh, But uh, I'm just saying that a lot of times there are things that are commonly accepted (laughs) that when we really consider what the Bible says, what was commonly accepted isn't remotely close to what God was really saying. And, and while the chastening of God is something we better grasp and we better understand because have we said this yet? In every father-child relationship, a chastisement is a fundamental part of that relationship. Chastisement and correction is necessary in every father-child relationship. See? So we better understand that. But that's what we're trying to do is to understand it. Now, in our passage, I've already pointed out the two key words, chasten and correction. Now, when we go to the book of Hebrews 12, we won't now, but when you go to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, the Apostle Paul borrows... From this passage right here in Proverbs chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, watch this, employs these words in his instruction to the Hebrews who were believers, Jewish believers, that were going through a difficult time and had forgotten the exhortation that speaks to them as sons that the Lord chastens those that are his. And they were experiencing chastening and chafing at it. They didn't like it they were about to buckle under it and paul is telling them of the significance of it now let's look at two words that deserve specific definition despite i'm sorry chasten and correction let me give you some definition here and anybody can you can find a good bible dictionary Anybody can find this. This isn't unique. I don't know Greek and Hebrew. I don't have some kind of an inside track. I just look stuff up like everybody else can. And you can find this definition. Are you listening to this now? The word chasten means discipline. Listen up. Correction. Instruction. Rebuke. That's what it means. As Solomon used it. It means discipline. Excuse me. Jesus taught his 12. What do we call them? Disciples. What does that mean? He taught them the disciplines of being a Christian. That's what he taught them. And so he discipled them. It means we're teaching the disciplines of being a Christian. All right. And so it has to do with. Discipline, it has to do with embracing the teachings of another. Discipline, correction, instruction, and rebuke. Now listen, when Paul used the word in Hebrews chapter 12, the Greek word, it means all of that, plus it means, now listen to this, it means tutorage, educate nurture now what I'm trying to say uh, and I'm trying to be careful about this is that what these what this word chaston means both in Proverbs 3 and Hebrews 12 excuse me is something different than God will get a hold of you by the nap of the neck and he'll jerk a kink in you and he'll work you over he will that doesn't sound like what he's teaching them, does it? No Because what he's teaching them is disciplines to educate them. Oh, I like this part. Tutorage. I won't ask for a show of hands how many you had to be tutored through school. But I just know that I should have been in some areas. Um, We have students that come to Heartland. They take these tests at the beginning of the, you know, when they come to register and everything. We find out what level of where they are in matters like English. And there are some that uh, have a very difficult time. And there are some like me. I ain't never had no trouble with English at all. And so there are others, though, that have trouble. And so they have to have uh, some help if they're going to get on the college level of English. They're going to have to have some help. So you have some students that are already ahead of them, and they excel in this area. So what do we do? We engage them as tutors to those because they are not bring them there to flunk them. We bring them there hoping to help them and to get along and, and to serve the Lord. And so you bring a tutor alongside and what does he do? Well, he assists them in their understanding. And he works or she works to make sure that they get that uh, grasp the ideas and the principles and the teaching that is involved here. That's what a tutor does. That's part of the definition of chastise. Far from get over here and get worked over. It's like, come along beside and let me teach you something and nurture them along. My dad was a farmer. And, oh, man, I, I looked up to my dad. I was probably 30 years old before I'd admit my dad had any faults. You know what I mean? I mean, I was just very close to my dad. I, I, and, he, and he and I had a great relationship. I was the last kid at home. And, and uh, just we had a great relationship but I wanted so bad to please my dad. So we'd go out, All right, so we're still cutting wheat, and we're going to start plowing over here in this field, and they're cutting wheat over in another place, and my dad would say, now, Sam, I'm probably 12 years old, maybe 13, he said, Sam, start right here, and here's how I want you to work the terraces, and here's where I want you to back plow, back furrow, and I want you to do this, and he'd tell me all this. I knew what all of it meant, I did, but when my dad would leave, I would overthink everything and mess up. I wanted so bad to please him, instead of just simply following directions i would find some way to mess it up then my dad come back and he's aggravated but i'm just a kid so he's not ridiculous about it and finally my dad got to the point where he wouldn't tell me and drive off he would take me around the first times what he wanted me to do he'd take me around on the tractor i'd ride he'd drive he'd show me what he wanted me well when he did that i got it I got it. I could see it clearly. I didn't overthink it. My dad said, just do what I just told you and what I just showed you. And he'd come along and tutor me. He made all the difference in the world. And so my dad didn't say, I'm going to chase you, boy. Did you throw me off the tractor and get a stick and beat the fire out of me? That isn't what he did. He said, let me help you. Let me show you. Did you know that God chastens his children? But let's not always get it in our mind uh, that it has to do with physical affliction or some kind of hammer coming down upon us. Now, can he do that? Yes. Has he done that? Yes. But it has to do with teaching, instructing, bringing along, nurturing, see that's what. That's that's what. For well, look at what it says, uh, my son. Despise not the chastening of the Lord, verse twelve. For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth. Correct. Now listen to this. Correct is another word that we got to get in our mind uh, because correct, well, it has to do mostly with verbal rebuke, verbal response, verbal rebuke, verbal correction. Included that is to chide someone, to chide them. And so, uh, Pastor, you and I could probably tell a story or two of preaching and doing the best we possibly could, pouring our soul out, preaching our gizzard out, go back in the foyer and somebody comes and gets in our face and chides us about what was said. You know, that's always fun, isn't it? Yeah, that's always fun. Now, it's not like a preacher never needs corrected. Uh, That's not the point. But I'm just saying, uh, there are times that you are doing the best you can, and then you are chided by it. It means somebody gets you in your face and said, That was wrong. That was not right. That was incorrect. See? And so the word instruction or, or correction has to do with that chiding or that instruction that comes by, listen to this, building an argument. Now what do you think about when you think of an argument? Well, oftentimes people think of two people, and they're going at it, you know. And um, I'm just kind of looking around here. Probably not. I don't see any married people in here that would know fully what an argument is between a husband and a wife. You all look so innocent. And so, but it, it's two people. then they are in disagreement, and they are arguing against one another. But that's not the main idea in mind. The main idea would be more, in our case, like a lawyer that is presenting the case to the jury, and he has his argument prepared, and he is presenting his argument for why this should be so. See, and so it has to do with an argument against someone. And so when we talk about chasten, it has to do with discipline and it has to do with uh, the fact of being nurtured or taught. It has to do with being tutored or brought along. Instruction means that it might be that he says, no, 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 not that. Chide. chidus. No, no, that is wrong. This is right. That is wrong what you're saying. That is wrong what you're thinking. That is wrong what you did. And be chided by it. Or to have an argument against us. When I got to thinking about these definitions, I thought, I don't know in the Christian life, anywhere that, uh, uh, this has been my experience, I don't know in my Christian life, anywhere that I have received more of that chastening and correction than when listening to the Word of God preached. That's what I felt at the most. That's what I felt. Uh, okay, part of it would be, see, because in the preaching of the Word of God, oh my, I'm so glad God invented preaching. I have no, I'd have had to work for a living if it wasn't for being a preacher, you know. And so I'm so thankful for the preaching of the Word of God, and I'm thankful that God called me to preach, but I'm thankful for the preaching I've got to take in. And not just, uh, since, not just when I was young or before I started being a preacher, but I'm talking about as a preacher. Uh, no, Pastor and I were talking today about as you go through your life and you're serious about following the Lord, you cannot look back without marveling at the providential care of God in your life. And I'll just tell you right now, there was a time when I uh, had finished seven years as an associate pastor. I call it the seven-year tribulation period. So if it happens that the believer has to go through the seven-year tribulation period, I don't think I'll have to because I've already been through it with that preacher. But nonetheless, I'm just saying, I, I was seven years. Then I started pastoring a church. And when I was pastoring a church, my friend over at Tulsa, Brother Dave Hardy, he would call and say, Sam, you need to come to the fellowship meetings after we met. So I'd been there at Stillwater a year and a half, two years. You need to go to this fellowship meeting. I'm not going to the fellowship meeting. Yeah, you need to come to the fellowship meeting with you. I'm coming through Stillwater. I'll pick you up. We'll go to this fellowship meeting. You come to Tulsa. It's in eastern Oklahoma and pick me up. I said, I'm not going to the meeting. I don't want to go to the meeting. Why? I got a church to pastor. He said, I got a church to pastor. He said, who do you think you are that you don't need to sit down and listen to some preachers preach? Well, since he put it that way, he he, he talked me into it almost every time. I remember one particular time, he called and said, the meeting is in northwest Oklahoma, I'm coming from Tulsa, a little out of my way, but I'll come through Tulsa, and I'll pick you up, and we'll take your car, my car, doesn't matter which, we'll go together, and it's about a two and a half, three hour drive from where I live. So he drove over, I said, no, I'm not going, why aren't you going? I said, because I got this liberal guy there, I don't care to go listen to him, he's got this liberal guy coming to preach from up in Kansas, I don't even like him, I'm not going to go hear him preach. Now that's where I was then, I know you're thinking terrible of me right now, but I'm just telling you honestly that's where i was i don't want to go hear this guy preach and so he uh, (laughs) brother hardy didn't spare for words he would just say you need to quit being a crybaby and go to the meeting and you need to quit thinking about what you're going to get out of it and go on why don't you just go and try to be a blessing to somebody else okay so i went i went so i had my defenses all built up the liberal guy was the last guy to preach and he introduced him, and I was sitting there all ready to not be blessed or get anything out of it. And the guy got up and he started preaching about a certain point of Moses' leadership that just nailed an issue in my life right there at that particular time. Having something uh, to do with issues that were going on in the church and my Carnal response to those issues that were going on, and he showed how Moses handled it like I should have been handling. I'm not kidding you. I sat there and listened to this guy that I didn't want to go here, and the Word of God just worked me over. Did. He built an argument, I thought, just for me. You mean you know what it's like to go to church and feel like you're the only one there and the preacher's preaching right at you? Oh yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, you're not alone if you've ever felt that way. Yeah, yeah, I felt that way. And I've looked back many times, Pastor, and thought, what if I'd have never heard that sermon? What if I hadn't heard that sermon? Oh I might have learned it eventually, but no telling how much damage could have been done by then. Yeah? What if I hadn't heard that? And you know what I got? Chided for my carnality you know what I got rebuked you know what I got instructed you know what I you know what that guy did got up and built an argument against my attitude and he didn't even know me he didn't even know me and he got up and built an argument against my attitude and that all came through the preaching of the Word of God now we don't have time for more stories but I, I I've got more yeah I've got more confessions to make mm-hmm. Yeah. And and the reason I'm saying that is I'm almost sure. As you said under the preaching of the Word of God, probably you've experienced it in your life, maybe not in the same areas that I've struggled, but in some area or another in your life, you went to church and you, instead of feeling good about yourself, you're sitting there and it's like you are... It's like you're being chided. It's like I came to church and this whole argument was against me. Like I can remember when I was going to the Independent Baptist Church in our hometown that was just very small and had just gotten started and going there and there's hardly anybody in the youth department, my sister and me at some times, and her family finally came and joined. I was a senior in high school. You know, the Most ever has five or four or five or six young people in there and uh, and not all of them were faithful. And our pastor would get up and then he's preaching, he would say, and some of you young people People, well, you know, now, if you look around, it's kind of hard not to take this personal. You know what I mean? Because there's about four of us that would still be there for the preaching service or on a Sunday night or on a Wednesday night. And he's talking about some of the young people of this church. (laughs) And he'd start railing on something that I hadn't done. I'd only thought about doing it, you know? And he's already built a case against me, and he's coming after me. And I'm thinking, how did he know? Did my mom, I didn't tell my mom. You know, and I, I'm just saying, and you go to church. Now, there are times, listen, please, there are times you go to church, and man, the Word of God, can, it can console you, it can encourage you. It can build your hope. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of hope in the Word of God as it is preached. And, and it can make us excited about the promises of God and the blessings of God. I'm just telling you, it covers everything. But there are times, and who's going to say they don't need it? There are times, it seems like, maybe in, maybe in an extended period of time, we are confronted over and over and over about ourselves, about our sins about our shortcomings, about not following the instructions that God has given. And it's like a pastor is on our trail and is preaching. We're we're under the preaching and it's like we're getting worked over. Yeah, that's the purpose of preaching. I felt that way many times. Well, I don't know if it's the purpose of preaching. Well, uh, I'm going to give you a verse, I think, probably is one of your favorites too. On the subject of the Word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Two little amens. Come on. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, if I'm preaching where Heartland students are, and they don't say amen at the right times, I just stop and I say, where'd you go to school? You didn't learn to say amen? And I just get on to them real good, you know, have a good time with it. Some of you are looking at me like, you mean old man. No, we have a good time with it. And so, okay, are you ready? All scripture is given by inspiration to God. Amen. Somebody said, is it okay for women to say amen? Friends, I've been in some places that are so dry and so quiet, I'd, I'd almost beg for a baby to start crying, you know? <laughs> some kind of response in here. So, all scripture is given by inspiration of God Amen. and is profitable for doctrine, Amen. doctrine, Amen. for reproof, Amen. for correction, Amen. for instruction in righteousness. Amen. That the man of God may be perfect. That means completely that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished. They go together there completely, truly furnished unto every good work. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, Amen. rebuke, Amen. exhort. With all long-suffering and doctrine. And so what you see in there is the whole gamut of what's supposed to be accomplished by the preaching of the Word of God. Sure, we're supposed to preach the Word of God, and our doctrine is made sound by the declaration of the Word of God. I said our doctrine is sound. We cannot afford to not pay attention to doctrine. (laughs) Is doctrine really that important? Oh, no, no. Here goes the sarcasm. I'm giving you a warning. Uh, oh, no, it just has to do with the teaching of and about Jesus Christ. No, that's not important. Well, that's what doctrine is. It's what the Word of God says. Well, there's a lot in the Old Testament. Yeah, it's all pointing to Jesus. Haven't you read it? See? And so, it's important for doctrine and for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Now, I charge thee, Paul said to Timothy, and all subsequent Timothys... Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now, come on, L- listen. Somebody said, Well, he doesn't use the word chasten. Well, uh, is the definition okay? If the definition is there, must he use the word chasten? Yeah, well, I've had people get in my face. You have too, if you've done any door and stuff. Well, you, you're talking about the rapture. The word rapture isn't even in the Bible. No, but everything that the word rapture means is what's going to happen when Jesus comes and his own are caught up out of here. So, okay, if you don't like the word rapture, it doesn't change the fact there's a rapture coming. And there may be people that listen about what the preaching of the word is supposed to accomplish, and we know it's supposed to uh, accomplish, a sound doctrine, and we know that it's supposed to teach us the long-suffering of God. Man, that's on most every page of the Bible. And we know it's supposed to do that, and we know it's for the purpose of comfort and exhortation, we understand that, but who can take away from the part that it has to do with correction and reproof and rebuke somebody, listen, building an argument and chiding us about our wrong thinking which leads to wrong living yes, see that's what preaching is supposed to accomplish yeah. i went uh, my wife and i were in town and so it was tuesday night and we went out for the soul and part of the church and anyway long story short we're going back this particular night to a house we've been to before, but just the 12-year-old girl and 14-year-old boy weren't home, parents weren't home, we told them we'd come back. So we finished up this particular night, and I looked at the watch and said, we still got time, we're not far away, so we went to this house uh, where just the kids were home, mom and dad weren't. And we were walking up the sidewalk, and I looked in the kitchen area there, and I saw the dad, we rang the doorbell, dad came to the door. I said, hello, my name is Sam Davidson, my wife is Sandy, and I said, I'm Pastor Emeritus of Southwest Baptist Church. And we were by a while back, and he acknowledged, yeah, the kids gave him the track and said that we'd come by. And so I said, I just wanted to come by. Uh, I understand you all haven't lived here a great long while, and I wanted to talk to you about your spiritual life. You have a church home, and, and he just kind of put the stop sign up, and he said, let me just save you some time right here. He said, I was raised in church. And he said, I was raised in a Baptist church. Went to church all the time. Uh, pastor would get up and preach, and I would go to the altar at the invitation time. Many, many times. And I'd go to the altar. I'd go to youth camp, and guys would get up and preach. And he said, I've literally gone to the youth camp and laid myself prostrate on the ground and said to the Lord, I want you to have my life. I want to I live for you. I, do, I want you to take my life. And he said, I'd lay down and do that. And he said, I did that, I don't know how many times. And I noticed the people in our church and the preacher would get up and he would preach and people would come to the altar. Said, I got to where I was 18, went to college. While I was in college, I'd go back to the church, and it was the same old preaching. And people would go on to the altar. And then after a couple of years of college, I'd go back home, and I just thought, why would I want to spend my life coming to a depressed place like this? Where a bunch of people are beat down by the Word of God. Or he didn't say the Word of God. Beat down by the preacher and by the preaching. Why would I want to do that? And he said, I got so tired of hanging around depressed and beat down people, negative about everything. And all the preaching was negative about everything. Why would I want to live my life that way? And I made up my mind and I made a choice. I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not going to subject myself to that. And he said, quite frankly, I would rather on Sunday go right out here in his yard. There are a bunch of trees out there. I would rather go out here on a Sunday morning and listen to the wind blow through the trees and go listen to somebody preach. Whoa. Now somebody said he must have really been in a bad church. Maybe. Maybe not. I said maybe. Maybe not. Maybe he just didn't want anybody telling him what to do. I said maybe. These people didn't respond very well over here. Maybe. Maybe he just didn't want anybody telling him what to do anymore. Mm-hmm. That could be it. I guarantee in almost every church, more than we want to admit, that guy probably has some sympathizers. I'm sure at Southwest Baptist Church, I'm sure I I I I didn't dwell on this, I'm sure there's probably somebody there every Sunday that says, Here go here he goes again. Here he comes again. Preaching on that again. Coming after us again. Never satisfied. And all you're trying to do is preach the Bible. I mean, I did expository preaching, three, 93 sermons through the Gospel of John, preached through the Book of Acts. You don't—I don't have time to tell you all the books I preach through, or that a preacher does in a long ministry. And just try to preach what's there. Preach what the Bible says. I can go to the pulpit and say, "I'm coming after him today. I can't wait to get there. I'm going to talk smack and rip faces off today." That—that's not my attitude. I've—I've I've not done that. I'm not just go preach the Bible preach what it says. We teach our preachers, find the intent of the biblical writer and then preach and teach what is the intent of the biblical writer because the intent of the biblical writer is the intent of the God who inspired the biblical writer. And so you do that and sometimes you'll go and just be blessed week after week and sometimes you'll go and get smacked in the face an inordinate amount of times in your opinion. Is everybody with me? And I'm just telling you that guy right there, I don't that I was telling you about? i I don't know. I don't know. But I haven't come to the conclusion that he had a bad preacher or that it was a bad church, because it could be entirely that his response, listen, to rebuke was exactly what the biblical writer said not to do in response to it. Don't you despise it? And don't you faint because of it. Is that what he said? Let me read it. Make sure I'm getting the word right here. Proverbs chapter 3. And look at verse number 11. Despise not. Neither be weary. Instead of faint. it's uh, Paul uses faint in Hebrews 12. And here he says. And don't be weary. Now look at me just a second. I'm going to make quick work of this. When he said don't despise it. It means. Don't disdain it. Don't count it as a light, insignificant thing. That's to despise it. Despise it, that means, I hate it, though a person can get there. Despise it means simply that you don't give it much importance. And to be weary of it is similar. To be weary of it, as Solomon states it, has to do with disdain, loathing, Parents, did you ever sit down with your, come here son, sit down. Now, and I sit here. I'm, I'm going to talk to you about some things. Did you ever have a kid go something like this? <laughs> your son's over here looking like, no, I've never done anything like that. <laughs> and if you didn't do it outwardly, like it, well, I found out as a as the youngest, you know, last kid at home, that is not a good way to respond. Now, you can do it in your own mind, <laughs> but you don't want to show that to dad. Is that what you was thinking there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, sir. But the despise their love. Uh, and that's the old eyeballs in the back of the head, uh, neck flopping around. saying, Oh, boy, here we go again. God says, don't treat my word like that. Don't treat my word. Like that. Don't do it. And I got a feeling that this man came to a place in his life where he was weary of it. He loathed it, probably because of his lack of response to the correction that God was giving him, his unwillingness to accept the correction, the instruction, the teaching of the Word of God. And the more you reject it and the more you resist it, then the more you despise being confronted about it. I think that's that's a pretty good way to say it, wasn't it? Uh Uh-huh. I don't know if I can say it again. Boy, I hope you got that. <laughs> because I think that's probably what the problem often is. It is. Is they despise it or they hate it because of a lack of <clears throat> submission to the word of God. Then the more you're confronted with it, the older it gets. The older it gets. Till it's loathed and despised. And you know what's forgotten in all of it? I'll tell you what's forgotten in all of it. It's the love of the Father that's behind the chastening. The love of the Father. We've all heard parents, I, I say we all, many of us have heard parents say, I don't want to do this. Oh, well, then don't. I mean, there's an easy solution to this. You know, if I'm the one that's going to receive the chastening, well, then don't. Or, or I never heard this, but I've heard people that heard this. It's going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. Yeah, sure it is. Yeah. And I never believed that till I was a parent. I never believed that till I was a parent. And the chastening comes as a result of the love of the Father. Now listen to Paul. Paul said to the Hebrews who were suffering under persecution as Christians, and made worse by the fact they were Hebrews and Christians. And and they were paying, we preached a little bit down in 1 Peter about this, that they were, they were paying a price to follow Jesus Christ, and they were wearying of it. And Paul said, don't you understand that this is a part, well, wait, wait a minute, if they are following Jesus to the point of suffering, why is God punishing them? He didn't say he's punishing them. He said he was chastening them. Yeah, but isn't that getting a hold of him and saying, what's the matter with you? No, no. It's instruction. It's teaching. It's nurturing. Pain, suffering, difficulties, hardships are a part of our spiritual progress. I mean, I'm in my my Bible reading right now in the mornings, in the book of Job. I'm at about chapter 22 or somewhere right now. And if God was mad at Job and wanted to destroy him, that's no problem for God. But that isn't what God was doing with Job. You've read it. Whenever God allows us to be confronted about ourselves, and it's painful and it hurts... And we have to receive correction. We have to humble ourselves. That's not fun. I said, that's not fun. But we got to remember, this comes as a result of the love of the Father. He it, it doesn't say it comes as a result of the wrath of the Father. It comes as a result of the love of the Father. And he is saying, you've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Hebrews 12, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and correcteth every son whom he receiveth. Now if you endure chastening, he'll deal with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? And he said, if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're making an illegitimate claim that God is your father and, you're, and he's not. He uses a term, a word, right there, that has to do with illegitimacy. And if a person says, I'm a child of God, but knows nothing of the correction and the chastening of God, I'm going to tell you, it's a bogus claim. It's a false claim. Because he chasteneth and scourgeth every son that he receives. No exceptions. I said no exceptions. He said now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. (laughs) Yeah. Oh boy. Is that an understatement? No chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. I know what it was for my dad to turn me around and let me have it. If I was going to get ten licks, I don't ever remember stopping him at number five and saying, Dad, could we stop here and just rejoice in this time of bonding that we are having? Because this, I know I'm going to look upon this later as a wonderful experience in my life. Can we dwell on it here for just a little bit? That never happened. Never happened. When you think you're dying, you know, you don't feel like talking like that. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Amen. No chastening for the present seemeth to be grievous, uh, joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, he said, we had earthly fathers that chastened us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily, our earthly fathers, chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our prophet, our heavenly Father, our earthly fathers did it for their own pleasure. That has to do with their discernment. This is what they discern should be done. Their pleasure. It's not like they took pleasure in this, but according to their understanding and their discernment. But he for our profit. God chastens his children for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. His holiness. We have to have the involvement of the Father. You and I aren't going to roll up our sleeves, and I'm just saying in the energy of the flesh, walk out here and just say, okay, from now on I'm going to be a holy person. You know, it's probably not going to happen. we It's not in us, in the strength and energy of our flesh, but with our Father's involvement. We can be more and more and more like him, or be partakers of his holiness. The patience of our heavenly Father is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Would you listen to this? You know the verse, you know it. Romans 8.28, we all love it. If you don't love Romans 8.28, my soul. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But the Bible doesn't end there. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Predestinate. Don't hyperventilate. Just stay tuned. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. When God saved you, when God saved me, he predetermined he's going to be at work in our life to make us in the image of his son, that his son might be what? The firstborn among many brethren. God is so pleased with His Son, He wants many more like Him. And you know how that comes about? By the hand of our Heavenly Father, who chastens His children, that we might be partakers of His holiness, or the same, different language, but the same idea, be conformed to the image of His Son. Now what we have to do is determine. Am I going to get weary of this? Because you'll never, ever get to the point you don't need it. So, you're going to get weary of this? You get to where you say, I just get tired of going to church and it feels like somebody's telling me what to do. You're going to get weary of that? Your Christian life will go the other direction. You better let the Father do His work. Submit yourself to it. Takes humility of heart. Listen, true discipleship, there's no room for pride. I said there's no room for pride. There is absolutely no room for pride. Humble yourself to it. And be a partaker of his holiness. I'll close with this. Um, I mentioned our son Samuel. Samuel. And he and I had a, a great relationship. We still do. He's 30. He'll be 38 in June. June the 2nd. <clears throat> and so he was 17. I'm, I'm almost sure it's 17. And if he wasn't 17, he was just about 17. And something was going on in his activities and something. I, I don't even remember what it was. I don't even care to know. But I told him, I said, now, bud, I'm going to tell you right now. That's not gonna fly, and if you don't get it straightened out, or if you go ahead and do that, or whatever the case, I said I'll work you over. I will. And he's 17, and I, you know, I I never thought I'd spank him at 17. And I said if you, but if, I, I'm just telling you, you're pushing it right there, and and he was kind of kind of like I'm joking but not joking type thing, and I said boy, if you did that, I'd I'd lay it on you. That's not right, and you're not going to get by with that. Well, he did. He did. Now what's your dad do? Well, I didn't really mean that. Well, that's a good way to lose ground. So I took him in his room, and I sat him down and talked to him. I made him lay over the bed, and I laid it on him. And it deserved... Um, it deserved a, a licking, and I gave it to him. And I hated it. I mean, I I was sick. I was when I knew that's what I was going to. I was I was sick at my stomach. And I laid it on him, and then, and it was painful. And so, he said, well, brother Sam, don't you know this? is The twenty-first, I know, but the statute of limitations has run out on that. It's a, I'm okay on it. I don't really care what the state says, I'm just saying. It. And and I was just oh I was sick. Afterwards I tried to talk to him and you know, he was in no mood to talk and I saw that in a hurry. So I left his room, shut the door, and just left him to himself. Went back in my bedroom and just sat down on the bed and just started bawling like a baby, you know, just oh it just made me sick. And I don't remember all the circumstances, but the next morning, our paths never crossed. I mean, I was up early and gone, and then he went to school. I think he had either a game or something going on. And so by the time I got home, uh, I think he got home after me, and I was already in bed. We, know, we never talked the whole next day. And all the time, this is like a weight. You know, it's just a terrible weight, And the old devil was saying, that's the way to drive your son away. Way to go. Good job. You know we have an adversary. It's accuser of the brethren, and and I I mean I I felt it, felt it. And so the next morning, then, now we're the second day after. I go and I'm getting dressed, and I pull out my drawer, and I'm gonna get my socks out, and I see a piece of paper about this size, about like that, laying on my socks there, and I pick it up and look at it. It's Samuel's writing. Dad, thanks for spanking me. I needed it. I love you, Samuel. So I sat down and cried again. (laughs) And then that night when he got home, man, we had a time. You know what I mean? There, there was nothing like it. You know, just the communion we had. The understanding we had, the kind of talk we had, a meaningful talk, oh, it was great. Now, no chastening seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Is that what the book says? It's exactly what it said. And I found it in my life as a son. That my dad and I were the closest when he laid it on me or chastened me or corrected me or rebuked me or disciplined me, and I received it. That's when we were the closest. I found the best times I've had with my Heavenly Father is when, no excuse for it, I disobeyed him. He corrected me and I humbled myself, and the communion was so sweet. And you know all God's looking for in His people? You come to church and you hear the Word of God? Well, that's not going to fly in the 21st century. People won't come and hear that kind of stuff. Well, then let's give them something that won't help them. Because what Samuel needed when he was 17 wasn't, well, son, I understand. I, I know you didn't mean to be rebellious and everything, but try not to do that again. That's not what he needed. I said that's not what he needed. And God designed a book to be preached in a way that would get in our face and correct us and rebuke us and set us in our place. He designed a book. Now, unfortunately, there are pulpits all across America where preachers are not willing to preach it in a manner that will do what God meant to accomplish with his people. So when your preacher stands up and preaches the Bible and he preaches it straight and you feel like, man, he's in our face today. It may have to do everything with the nature of the text and what God's word is saying. And you'll be far closer to God if instead of bowing that neck and bowling up and despising it and being weary of it. If you do like Samuel and say, thank you, Lord. I needed that. Can a preacher with an attitude mess it up? Yeah, but it doesn't change the truth. Are preachers perfect? No. No. Does it take a perfect man to preach the word? Hopefully not. Yeah. Then when God's speaking to you, let's not look for outs and ways to excuse ourselves. Let's just come before the Father and say, Thank you, Lord. I needed that. I love you. And that will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Father, I pray that you would help us as we go along the journey to understand that we will never, ever come to the place in our life where we do not need By your authority, where we do not need to be told that's wrong, where we do not need an argument against our wrong thinking and wrong acting, wrong conduct. There'll never be a time ever if we have the presence of mind to know the decisions we are making, and the choices of day-to-day living, there will never be a time that we don't need the authority of your word putting us in the right place, correcting our thinking, correcting our attitude, correcting our conduct. Thank you, Father, that you so love us. Behind it all, your word says it, Behind it all is the love of our faithful Heavenly Father. Thank you, God, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, shall we?